Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Each Saturday morning at 7.30, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the low country talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life now your hosts of beyond the business eric cox and leslie haywood and good saturday morning low country welcome to another edition of beyond the business heard exclusively here on 94.3 wsc and simulcast on iHeartRadio every Saturday morning from 7.30 to 8. Thank you to our loyal listeners for tuning in the dial to listen to us. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Cox, here this morning. And if you can't tell by my voice, this is not Leslie Haywood. This is actually Byron Stahl back again. And unfortunately, we don't have Leslie here uh, this morning. She's getting a little break. Um, you know, unfortunately, she's our she's our, our spark plug, right? Our so dynamic. we're just going to have to bring yeah. our game this morning. Um, and I think we can do that because it's a pretty exciting weekend. It is. It is. Hope everyone's ready. It's a for super the weekend, right? Tomorrow. It's a super weekend. So Super Bowl tomorrow night. Exciting things going on here in Charleston. I love this time of the year, Byron. Uh, we're getting ready to kick into that spring season in Charleston before too long, and there's Couldn't so come much here going soon on. Enough. I love I'm, it. I'm over the cold. Boat time and all kinds of fun stuff coming up. By the way, uh, speaking of Low Country, I do want to give a little shout out this morning as we get started to uh, the girls' sixth grade basketball team over at Palmetto Christian Academy. I happened to coach that team. We just wrapped up our season, regular season that is, at 11-1. and one. So proud of those girls and getting ready for the tournament next week. So go PCA Eagles. I like it. Shameless plug. Fun Loving stuff. Oh, Fun yeah. stuff. They asked me, Coach Eric, can you please say something about us on the radio? So there you have it. Awesome. So, Byron, uh, had a great show last week. Mr. Jason Bessie was on from uh, Corel Insurance Group here in town. Uh, give us a little thought and feedback yeah, from what you absolutely. took away from his show. It was a great show. show, and if you didn't get a chance to go listen to the show, make sure you go to CoastalWM.com. In the top right-hand corner, click on Radio Show Podcast, and you will see our most recent shows there. Um, so, Jason, a very interesting show. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, one of my biggest takeaways from him was just the fact that his one of his keys to success was you know, honestly just good old-fashioned work. He told his lesson of going up and down Highway 17 and stopping at every single business and offered to quote their insurance. And I'll be perfectly honest, you don't see that anymore in today's market. And that is you know, part of the reason that he's successful is that contrarian attitude to do what others won't do. Certainly a lost art in life, and uh, I love Leslie sort of captured it by saying, hey, the fearlessness of making the calls is what really led to his success, and I think it's a great way to, to put it. Um, also, I love the fact, you know, in the group that he's in now, um, they came up with several innovative niches in the insurance world. Uh, they have a program called CHIPS, which is Silicon Harbor Insurance Program in insuring ships and uh, just really some unique areas that they're focused on. And, again, that's what this show is all about. It's about entrepreneurship. It's about hard work. It's about innovation. And there's lots of that going on in Lowcountry. And I know today we have another great example here in the studio. So let's tune it to uh, Mr. Owen Kokenda. Um, first of all, Owen, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you inviting me to the show. That's pretty awesome. And we're glad you're here for uh, many reasons. We'd love to hear stories of our entrepreneurs but you are kind of a serial entrepreneur, right? You have your hands in many, many pots, one of which is canine control training, 
And um, you also have your hands in pots of Hemp Driven. We're going to talk about that. Live, which is a new venture you're involved in. But let's start real quick with canine control training. Just give our listeners a quick you know, 20 second commercial on what that is. So, canine control training is a canine business for dog training that is more than just uh, your in home dog training. We are focused on rehabilitation, mainly anxiety, dog aggression, human aggression issues. Um, we find that a lot of uh, other training companies will come into your home and uh, give you advice and charge you for it. Uh, we typically will give a lot of advice out for free of charge, and we like to be able to touch the dogs and work with the dogs and then work with the owners. Kind of like uh, if you were to buy a car, you know how to drive a car, but you don't necessarily go to the factory and know how to build your car. So what we try to do is we try to build the dog as the car and then teach you how to operate it once it's already been built. Interesting. Well, we're looking forward to hearing more about it. But before we do, Byron? We like to go back to the very beginning. We get into the nitty-gritty of it all and see where there might be some seeds of entrepreneurship along the path. So let's take us back to where you grew up. What was family life like? Sure. I uh, I grew up in uh, Hillsboro, New Jersey. Uh, life growing up was a little bit rougher. Um, my father had uh, some alcohol addiction issues that he did recover from, which was great to, to hear. Um, mom was awesome, st- stood by him and uh, stood by me mainly. And uh, so when I turned 18 years old, I uh, decided that I was going to join the Marine Corps. Um, right, we're going to stop you before you get, you just skipped a whole bunch of life, didn't you? Which, by the way, normally 18 years later. Sure. Right. Well, so we're, we're going to break that down I, a little bit. So first of all, being from New Jersey, that northeastern quadrant, we have to know who you're rooting for in the Super Bowl. Not watching the Super Bowl. You're not even watching. All right. No, so you don't sir. have you don't have a dog in that fight. Nope. No pun intended. I don't even know who's in the Super Bowl. Gotcha. All right. So <laughs> secondly, let's talk about uh, as uh, as a child growing up. Did you have brothers, sisters? I have a brother. Okay, so I have a brother. Mm-hmm. Um, give us a, a sense a little bit. Obviously, the issue with your dad was a big part of your life. Sure. But what else was going on as a youngster in that household? Did your dad work? What did your mom do? Sure. My, my mother was a. Uh, I, she was a scientist by trade, uh, essentially. So she worked for, uh, at the time it was AZ Photo Resist was the company she used to work for. They ended up selling out. And then somewhere along the lines, it ended up becoming Merck at the later years. Um, and she went in from being science into sales end of it. She was really good at it. My father was a carpenter by trade. He built uh, a lot of commercial hospitals, cabinets, things like that. Um, so he, that's what he did for a living. Um my brother's six and a half years older than I am, so we live two separate lives. Gotcha. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a pretty big uh, age gap. So tell us what school was like. What type of student were you? What hobbies and after-school activities were you involved I in? I was the type of student that was uh, loved and hated by the teachers. I uh, unfortunately did not uh, excel in school at all. I was more of a hands-on learner than I was a, a type of learner that read something and could pick up on it. Uh, I realistically did not learn how to read until about the 11th grade wow um which was a huge disadvantage but an advantage at the same time i was very good at uh manipulation at a young age um so i could manipulate the teachers to kind of not want me there next year so that's kind of how i moved ahead found a way to to get through it right it was good Um, good at cheating so as you as you made it through your your high school years um what was your focus on at that time, and did you have any real thoughts for 
the vision of the future and what you were going to do when you grew up? So my high school, I went to I went to a vocational school because I had a better advantage of learning a trade than I did uh, actually graduating and going somewhere else. Um, so I went to uh, school for auto body. I spent majority of my hours were in a body shop working on cars. So learning how to work in a body shop in high school, what was that dynamic like and how was it different from maybe a lot of your other friends? How did you navigate so all of that? Basically, I, I mean, in the eighth grade is when I really started going into a body shop. I, it's the first time I went to vocational school and I got to sit down with the teacher and kind of learn about what was going to happen and, and kind of trying to set a career path that I thought was going to be uh, a future for me and be a realistic one instead of a, an unrealistic one. And so uh, I had a teacher, Mr. Essler, who was a really good uh, mentor, I would say. And uh, he taught me a lot about the the way things worked and, and the reality of putting your hands on a car and how to fix things and and f- focused on a lot of different areas of not just one aspect of a body shop. He gave us the whole well-rounded area of, of you know, doing body work to pulling dents to painting to, you know, mixing your paints and your chemicals and what you should wear and not wear and things like that. So it was a really good experience. So at that age, you're not thinking about running your own businesses or all. businesses one day, right? Not at all. Um, talk about sort of what happened as you went through high school and beyond. So I got through high school. I mean, it was, it was tough. I was, uh, growing up in New Jersey and listening to country music and I was, uh, not afraid to wear a hat and go line dancing. And it was just a different element to the average high school kid. I was a little bit different and it was okay with me. I didn't care what people said. Um, and so, you know, going forward, you know, I kind of, didn't realize I had an entrepreneurial interest at all, but I started a uh, detailing company. It was a small little thing when I was, I don't know, 17 years old, and we got around and did some stuff with one of my buddies. And, uh, you know, it didn't last very long, but it was just a, a good start. And as you're going through all this in high school and beyond, um, the impact of your father's struggle with alcoholism, how is that playing a role into the development of, of your life? I think it just gave me drive. I think that's what it, I learned more about what I didn't want than what I wanted. Uh, that was definitely not something I ever thought that if I have children, I would ever want to do or put my kids through. Um, my father was not an alcoholic my entire life. He didn't start drinking until he was in his 40s. Um, so it was, uh, again, my brother and I lived co- two completely separate lifestyles. My brother was almost, uh, you know, 16, 17 when my dad started drinking, where I was, you know, in my younger years. And, uh, you know, it had a completely different effect on me for sure than it did him. Um, so, it, you know, I was really lucky to 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 kind of witness what I didn't want to see, and, and it's just kind of how that went. Right, absolutely. And oh, you know, I heard you mention earlier that you decided to join the Marine Corps uh, when you were 18 years old. Walk us through the process and the mindset of doing that. So, the be honest, it was a really hard thing for me to get even into the Marine Corps because, again, I didn't really learn how to read until later on. So the ASVAB test that people usually typically will take and do really well with, uh, it took me three times to pass. Um, So that's how much of a disadvantage I was at. Uh, And then, uh, you know, I had a buddy, I was working at uh, ShopRite, which was a local grocery store. And it was a decision that my buddy and I were working in the same aisle one night. And uh, we said, let's just do this. Let's let's go. We'll go together. Fortunately for him, he got in faster than I did because he passed the test the first round. So we didn't get to go together. Um, 
and I got into boot camp. Uh, I was, you know, I got flown in. I was the first one on, uh, you know, Paris Island has footprints. And on those footprints, it was the first one before that I was holding folders. Uh, so I got into boot camp and quickly, uh, I, they found out that I was allergic to bees. That was the, basically the disadvantage of what took me out of the Marine Corps. So I was on Paris Island, got discharged from Paris Island because I was allergic to bees. So they sent me home. So it was a quick in and out. But there was a lesson in there that look, you know, one of the common denominators that we find when we speak to entrepreneurs on this show is persistency. And you failed the first one, you failed the second one, and that didn't deter you one bit. Yep. You did it a third time, and lo and behold, you succeeded. For sure. So that's just that just shows the lesson, you know, never give up, and the world's your oyster. So what 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 did you do next after getting discharged? So after I got discharged, I came back to New Jersey. I was there about eight months, and I was kind of going down a rabbit hole of uh, partying, drinking. I figured I'm either end up in jail or I'm going to end up dead, one of the two. So I made the... Uh, the experience of packing my bags, packing my car, I had about $2,500 in cash. I had no destination. I knew that I had uh, NASCAR tickets down to uh, Daytona 500. So I was going to travel down there. So a buddy and I, we both drove down separately. We met up in Daytona and uh, we watched a race. And I really didn't have a destination after that. I slept in my car for about seven days. And uh, after that, I my cousin had called me. She was living in Charlotte, North Carolina. And she said, hey, I got a job opportunity for you in Myrtle Beach. So I said, okay. So I drove up to Myrtle Beach, and uh, it was basically building nightclubs. And I was in – I got to the apartment where they were wanted me to stay. There were seven people living in a two-bedroom apartment. I quickly, after four hours, decided that I was <laughs> going to keep driving. So I didn't unpack. I didn't do anything. I just started driving. And I called my cousin. I said, what did you get me into? So she said, well, look, don't uh, – my intent was to go to California. But she said, don't go there. If you fail, it's a long way home. Come somewhere you at least know somebody if something happens. So she was in Charlotte, so I ended up driving to Charlotte, and uh, I ended up finding a roommate there. And unfortunately, my mom thought it was a good idea to give me a check from a New Jersey bank. So uh, she didn't want me traveling with cash, and I didn't have a, a bank account at the time. So I had to drive all the way back to New Jersey overnight because I had no more money. I was out. I spent it all in Daytona, so I pretty much had enough gas money to get home, but I had I couldn't cash a check, so I had to either wait 10 days with no money or drive back to New Jersey. Those are my alternatives. So I drove back to New Jersey and got some funds and turned back around and drove back the next day down to North Carolina. And what was your intent uh, professionally that you were going to get involved in when you got back to North Carolina? I had no idea. I honestly had no idea. I... Uh, I had no destination of anything. I just knew I had to do something. Uh, I started looking when I did get back, and I found the opportunity to get into the car industry. And so there was a class basically that taught you how to sell cars, and I uh, jumped on that opportunity, and got it. they guaranteed me a job when I got done with it, and that's what I did. And so I know the, the, the road kind of traveled, uh, led you over to Clover, South Carolina at some point. It did. Uh, and talk about the experience there and, and uh, your profession. In so, that realm. I, well, at first I moved over. To, I kept migrating further south, and so I've got to ended up in, in Lake Wiley Clover area. Uh, I was in the Lake Wiley area for a while selling cars. I was at, working at uh, Fred Caldwell Chevrolet. Uh, we had a used car store there. I spent several years there, and then the economy kind of crashed. Um, and when the economy crashed, I was making very good money for being 24 years old, and uh, 
you know, I decided at that point, okay, well, I'm not going to make a living in this industry. So I'm already kind of set up to, to be able to do something else. And uh, I happened to know the captain at the Clover Police Department, and uh, he got me an interview. And so I got an interview with the, the police department. Uh, I didn't get a police officer job immediately. Um, I had to get into the dispatch. I did get a dispatch job part-time for the police department and kind of worked my way up from there. And so I have to uh, ask this because it obviously evolved into your business that you own today. Um, What was it that led you to wanting to apply for a a job on the force there in Clover? Um, You know, same. I guess you all got to have a little bit of crazy in you to to do any of that that type of stuff. You know, I was a a goalie playing hockey. I've always been a goalie playing lacrosse. There's always a little bit of uh, that rush or the adrenaline that I like to have. And, uh, you know, just the experience of, of helping other people that you don't really realize what you're getting into when you do get into law enforcement. I, I give a big shout out to the guys that are doing it to this day, um, especially a lot of guys that I know, a lot of guys uh, that I've been in law enforcement with are still doing it today. Um, a big shout out to those guys. I mean, it's a hard to, day and time to be in law enforcement, and I don't think these guys get enough credit, uh, especially for the pay, the little pay that they do make. It's it's really sad that we're in a world of, of you don't make any money and you get shot at on a regular basis at this point. It's it's pretty bad. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were going through the initial training uh, when joining law enforcement, are there any big takeaways or any big nuggets or lessons that you learned that you eventually applied to your life as an entrepreneur? Um, you know, really everything about being in law enforcement was was a lesson. I mean, a lesson from getting in the academy and, and struggling that, you know, every Friday it was about putting pressure. And I think a lot of the guys that, that are going into the academy don't realize that, you know, every Friday when you got your banana pudding in the academy, that was a good day because that means you passed your test for the next week. Um, and it was about putting pressure on. And if you can't really get that pressure put on and pass those tests, you really probably shouldn't be on the street. Um, and that's just a reality because there's going to be times when you do get to the street where, you know, it, it gets scary. It gets it gets hard. And and I remember my first week. Uh, Logan McGarity was my kind of my training officer. And you know, within the first, I would say three days of me being on the force, we were going after a murder suspect, and we saw him sitting on a porch somewhere. And and I I didn't even realize that Logan had it in him to to do the things that we had to do to get this guy apprehended. Um, and he he taught me a ton and taught me that you have to be firm and don't be scared and just you got to go into it. And, and that taught me a lot for sure. But moving forward from there, I mean, I, I, I kept being persistent and we had a, a chief change in the first year really of me being in law enforcement. And we went from one chief to another chief. And once the new chief came in, I, I kind of was very persistent on wanting to do a canine division, which we never had before. Um, and I think, uh, I th- really think he's tried to shut me up by allocating money through the town. Um, was more or less what it was because they only gave me a $5,000 budget to start a canine division, which is unheard of. Um, but I had a lot of persistence and I made a lot of phone calls and tried to, you know, get a lot of uh, other departments to help me out to get this thing started. And I was really lucky and fortunate to find a dog for, you know, that was with another department that was uh, somewhat trained, but not completely trained well and hadn't really done a lot of work, but it, it was good enough for what I needed. And uh, we ended up getting that done, and we started the K9 division that's still operational today. And this was in Clover? This was Clover, South Carolina. 
So I haven't heard, Owen, in your background uh, up to this point where you had experience with dogs before. Sure. So when I was in that evolve from? When I was in the car business, I had a uh, a, a guy named Mike Caparici who was, uh, you know, he owned his own dog training company and he was on the West Coast for a long time. He was then came over to the East Coast and uh, essentially he worked with Connie Corsos, the breed Connie Corsos, and he worked with Akitas and German Shepherds, but... Um, I got really fascinated with the, the Connie Corso because it was a massive, large dog that, you know, his style of training was protection work and, you know, you're young and you're like, okay, that's really cool. I want to be part of that. And so I ended up getting a dog, uh, actually through one of my managers at that time was, you know, kind of gave me a dog through, you know, doing good in sales. And so that's how I, I established my first real dog. And it was, uh, it was cool because he just kind of took me under his wing. He said, "Look, I don't have a demonstration dog. If you, uh, if you're willing to use your dog as my demo dog, then I'll teach you how to do it." It wasn't, you know, and so that's kind of how I got learning into the dog world. But I didn't really, uh, I didn't know it would be anything of what it is today. So unfortunately, we're getting close to time here this week, but uh, I don't want to miss the point of our show, which is entrepreneurship, taking the leap from law enforcement to entrepreneurship how did all that come about so i decided i had been vacationing to charleston for a long time and just coming here and and experience and seeing every time i went to a restaurant i was like there's a dog so i knew that this area was dog friendly and i said if i'm going to open a a business the only way that it's going to be successful is to be surrounded by what i could see and so that was what kind of gave me that leap of faith to make the jump Uh, i was really fortunate that my Parents decided that they wanted to make a, a weekend travel down to Charleston and buy a house for whatever reason. They still don't know to this day because they don't own it anymore. But it it was their little vacation house that they bought, and they weren't using it at all. And they offered it to me to to move in just to cover the cost of of keeping it up and running it. And so uh, it was a, a cheap way for me to get started. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be where I am today for sure for that reason alone. Um, because you know there was times in, in starting a business where you just don't have the money, the funds to, to pay for everything. And that's, you know, one of the hardest things that you, unless you take on investors, which I did not, um, you know, I did it all by myself. And, and so that was, that was the one thing that made everything real. Well, that's quite the, quite the transition. And obviously looking at where you are today, it's been a, a long runway sure. and a lot has changed. What were some of the roadblocks you ran into starting a new business here in Charleston from scratch? From scratch, it was literally nobody knew who I was. So what happened was I, in that, when I was working at the Acura dealership, I had met a woman that uh, ended up becoming my first customer, and she was the owner of Wonderworks. And so that was my first customer. That kind of led to my next customer and then led to my next customer. And so uh, the first year was really difficult because I did not have a name for myself. Nobody knew who I was, but I did have the legitimacy from having a law enforcement background. And working with canines and in law enforcement, that's kind of what gave me the legitimacy to move forward. So that's how the start all happened, huh? That's it. And as you mentioned before we run out of time, you know, getting started is always the most challenging thing. Um, just sort of take us back mentally real quick. You know, that transition from you were moving, you were leaving a, a guaranteed paycheck, and you were starting a business. What for you was the source of inspiration and strength that allowed you to make that leap? Um I've always been under the impression that if you don't take chances, you're not going to get anywhere. I said, I've always worked too hard 
to not be something for myself. And I was young enough that if I took the chance and I failed, I knew I could recover. Um, I wasn't, you know, I didn't really think anything other than I'm doing this. There was no second plan B or anything like that. Um, the, I think the, really the, the fuel to the fire was, uh, you know, after I did make that jump and that leap of faith, we found out three months later that, that my wife was pregnant. It's a little extra motivation on top, right? So it was, we moved. <laughs> yeah, we moved. Uh, we opened a business and we found out she was pregnant. So it was, there was no failing. Failing was not an option at that point. Well, there's no doubt. There's nothing like that kind of, uh, as you mentioned earlier in the, the segment, pressure uh, to bring out the best in someone, right? For sure. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time today, but we're looking forward to coming back next Saturday. Um, Owen, in terms of not only the evolution of uh, canine control training, but you also have now involved into two other businesses that we want to talk about next week. So thanks for your story and your time today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Again, Mr. Owen Kokenda, who is the owner of Canine Control Training here in Charleston, uh, wrapping up another week. Yeah. Uh, everyone enjoy the Super Bowl tomorrow. We'll see each other next Saturday. And in case you did not get to hear one of our previous segments, simply go to our website at coastalwm.com and click on the radio icon. And as Byron mentioned, until next Saturday morning at 730 Charleston, have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Tune in next Saturday morning at 730 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC.